Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. First, I want to thank you very much, all those who wrote emails to me. I love receiving your feedback and, and your comments, and your thanks, too. And also, I want to thank Carol from Brooklyn, who called during the show last week. She asked a phenomenal question, which I attempted to answer, maybe giving it 10, 12 minutes. But after the show, I spent a lot of time thinking about that question. And I think that we can get back to it. I would love to hear. And the question was, how do you find the purpose of your life? I would love to hear from you. I want to know how you, were, you went about finding the purpose in your life. And by the way, if you want to call anytime, even uh, today during the show, even though uh, I will not be talking today, I have a, a wonderful guest uh, for this show. But you can call during the show as well. I will remind you of the number. It's 888-874-4888. Uh, and if you want to send me an email, if you don't have my uh, email address, it's drpeterresnik at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. But before I begin the interview, and I before I introduce, introduce our guest, I want to make sure that I uh, keep my promise to you. Last week, among other, other things that we discussed, I spoke about the WIT, W-I-T, Will Integration Training. We discussed the issue of uh, doing the assignments. When, when I give people assignments, um, when they want to accomplish something, very often, even though they know exactly what they want to achieve and they get the tools that would help them to achieve what they want to achieve, they're still not doing it. And that is because not even lack of commitment, but often lack of willpower to use the tool to achieve what you want to achieve. And that's why I decided and I promised you that once a week I give you uh, one of the steps in the WIT, in the Will Integration Training. And last week I gave you the first assignment, if you remember, and I hope some of you um, practiced the I choose exercise. I'm not going to repeat it. And if you are interested and you did not um, hear the previous show, you can go on the last week's show uh, I spoke about it. But if you practiced, then I would suggest that you practice for two more weeks the same I choose exercise. But today I give you the next exercise, and you will do it in addition to the one which you've been practicing uh, last week. And this week's exercise, remember the last week's exercise was designed to inform your consciousness, to implant in your mind the idea, I can, that is, I am Mr. Success. Over and over, remember you were saying, I choose to do this, I choose to do that before each time, before you did something, whatever action you took, that you knew exactly that you will be uh, successful at. So you were programming your mind that you are success. Now, 
you want to begin to program your mind that you not only can do things successfully, but you can do them perfectly. That is, this week, you do one thing absolutely perfectly. You choose, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Every day it can be something else, or it can be the same, but you choose that in the morning, and then whatever you do, you do 100%. It cannot be 99%. One day it can be you choose to clean the table, and another one your desk, and another one you make your bed, but it must be 100%, okay? And now we'll welcome our guest, and the guest, this guest already was with us on March 30th. Uh, his name is Vladimir Arngert. I know exactly what he is doing, and hopefully those uh, there are some of you who with us today who um, <clears throat> were with us on March 30th. I know most of the things that uh, our guest is doing, but I always have difficulties introducing him because of the of so many incredible things that he does with his life. So I will just give you his name. His name is Vladimir Angert. Hi, Vlad. Hi, how are you? What's going on? Welcome, welcome to the show. And um, I, you know, I'm about to say he is the energy healer, but that's not what defines you. I cannot say this is a guy who can talk to the dead. That's not what you do. <laughs> so I, I, I don't, you will actually, I will ask you to introduce yourself. Uh, would you give an idea of what you do in your, with your life these days? <laughs> because you've done so many things. Uh, I chose a life of a teacher. That's what I am chose a life of a teacher. I, throughout the years, I've had some really incredible experiences. I've encountered some phenomenal things. I've had 28 phenomenal experiences. I've done all kinds. I've used my abilities for just about everything. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, yes. When you say abilities, there are, there are some people who did not hear you, were not with us on March 30th. So would you so kind of in the last 20, I mean, I've been this way since I'm a little boy, but uh, in the last 23 years of professional practice, I've solved 16 homicides. I've uh, used my abilities to look for oil wells, gold mines, uh, treasure. Uh, I've uh, found missing people, I know, uh, completely and successfully treated and healed lung cancer, ovarian cancer, brain tumors, Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's, Crohn's. Um, I've developed a system called Realized Medicine, and it's really what I lead with because my abilities are irrelevant. What's relevant is that you and I can arm people with tools so that they can become self-sufficient and not dependent on our, on our service, and that's our way. So I don't really lead with anything. I don't, I'm not a psychic because that's just an increment of what I can do. I can remove myself from my body and go into the parking lot and tell you who's sitting in their car and tell you their license plate. That's meaningless. It's just a trick. It's completely meaningless. So I'm a teacher and aspiring to be like you. Ah, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think that last time when I interviewed you, 
You, a number of times, you refer to our common experiences. You mentioned, oh, Peter, you said this and that. But I don't think that we ever told our audience that you actually, I'm your uncle, you're my nephew. <laughs> so, my dear audience, I wanted to share with you, by grace of God, uh, I, I had the privilege to spend a lot of time with, with two of my wonderful nephews, Oleg Reznik, and I interviewed him once already here. He is the author of the book, Secrets of Medical Decision-Making, and, and Vladimir. It, it just happened that uh, at certain times in my life, I, I had the privilege, as I said, to spend time with both of them. And, and to some degree, I was kind of helping them out or teaching them. And by now, <laughs> 40 years later, or 30, Five years later, I find myself being the student of both of them. And most of the time when we call each other, I ask questions. Now I don't teach, I just only learn. <laughs> so, so Vlad, um, I, I would like, you know, you said something so wonderful last time, almost at the end of the interview. And I shared with my students this one simple idea. I would like you to repeat it. We, I know we'll go to talk about other issues, but, but two of my students, once I shared with them this idea, the idea is not new. I, I teach this idea too. But you found such an elegant way to explain this that I told you two, two of my students used it and said it's such a such a beautiful way to explain, and that is the energy drain. Remember, you gave the analogy. What happens when we, when we make stories, when we attach ourselves to stories, when we attach ourselves to some need or, or some emotion of, of anger, um, remorse, guilt, what happens to our energy? Do you remember what, what you, the analogy that you gave? Okay. Um, I just want to be clear up front that nothing I know, other than what you inspired in my life, nothing I know is from a framework. Everything is from my experience and from my understanding. And I've been blessed with a, uh, a slightly different vibration soul. So I'm exposed to... Uh, I didn't learn anything from a book. I didn't study with a shaman or a, in a rainforest. Um, as a matter of fact, most of the concepts that I come to find out, the things that I came with naturally correlate with a technological structure called Torah. Um, so I don't, um, when I tell my stories and how I came up with these concepts, they're from my life experience. So what you're asking me happened for me as a result of worrying about what my ex-wife thought about me and uh, being consumed by the idea that, you know, she would send me a text message and I would sit for hours responding to her. And in one of my meditations, I saw myself as a battery. I saw myself as a literal battery receiving energy from, from the creative force and many wires were coming from my battery. And as I received that energy from the creative force, the energy was leaving me 
through these wires and fueling the stories that I was entertaining. And so they were all these wires coming from me and, and, and all these bubbles of, of story. So the story was a bubble and the wires, I don't know if you know, I don't know if anybody remembers that, um, that film, um, I think it was X-Men and the guy had many arms and wires. Well, that's what I looked like when, in my meditation. And as a, as a result of all these concerns about the future and what she thought about me and who's going to say what and how it's going to turn out and statistics. I, I've never lived in statistics, but that's what folks live in, you know, their, their ideas. I saw myself wasting my energy that's intended for me from the constant flow of the creative force, which you and I call God, I saw myself redirecting that energy into all these stories, which was not only depleting me, but not it taking away my ability to be an effective co-creator of my own reality. So it's a, it's, it's a harmful, it's emotionally, intellectually, and physically harmful. That's how, that's why it's so important to forgive, not because you are giving a gift to that person who you forgive, you give a gift to yourself, you free yourself, you, you allow yourself to receive the energy that belongs to you. Absolutely. You know, in, in our system, in our way of life, uh, our holiday, Rosh Hashanah, is for that. It's not a holiday. It's an opportunity to take responsibility for co-creating an issue with another human being. We have nine days to engage another human. We call them and say, look, I take responsibility. Why? Because I co-created it. Conflict would never be in my life if I didn't co-create it. Right? So I take responsibility and I liberate them and myself. When you say terms Rosh Hashanah, you say Torah, you need, not everyone knows about Judaism, so you, you need to specify Torah. It's what Christians call Old Testament, but Torah literally means instruction. So it's a book of instruction that we received 3,380 years ago. But would you explain, uh, uh, if you don't mind, Rosh Hashanah and what all these nine days mean? It's a, uh, you could say Judaic in nature, but the technology of Torah was given to humanity. It wasn't just given to the Jews. The Jews just chose it as a, as a way of life and paid a big price for it. But the truth is it's been watered down, but it's literally an emotionally, intellectually, and physically savvy structure for vibrational life. It has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with understanding that that space and time during September, the light of the creative force shines 1000 degrees brighter and, we, and, and it tweaks our emotions. So there's an opportunity to refuel our souls for the coming year during Yom Kippur, which is the fasting day. And prior to that, we have nine days where we literally call loved ones and people we might have hurt or offended and take responsibility for our actions. There's only one reason for that. One is if I take responsibility, I'm acknowledging that it didn't happen to me. It happened as a result of me. That if you said something bad and we had a conflict, that conflict manifested for me as a result. That's what the master of Christianity said. 
Turning the other cheek doesn't mean to forgive. It means to ask yourself what it means to you. What does this tell you about you? So if, uh, if aggression manifested before you, then you must have aggression in you, right? What's so we, it's a nation in it, yeah. That's what we're doing. For nine days, we call other human beings and say, look, whatever it is, I apologize and take responsibility. Why? Because I'm just as responsible as you. We encountered each other in conflict because there's conflict in both of us. We resolve, I resolve it and liberate you because I'm taking responsibility for my part. So then you don't, you're not left thinking that it's all your fault. That liberates me of one of those wires that entertains that ball of thought that depletes me from energy. It's the depletion of energy that makes us emotionally unstable. It's the, it's the, uh, movement out, being out of alignment with the flow from the creative force that moves us, and we become we, we become the light becomes dim, because we scatter our energy on thoughts about who's going to say what, what they're going to do to us, flu season, allergy season, what's coming, COVID is going to destroy us, the president is going to bring new terrorists are coming, everything is constantly coming, and we're still here. So the beauty of, of that time is you get a chance to take responsibility. And then when Yom Kippur comes, I don't want to make this a, a, you know, an Old Testament conversation or Torah, but it's for humanity. If humanity took the time to take responsibility for their actions and how they co-created their own reality, it's not the law of attraction. It's the law of co-creation. The creative force is constantly creating reality. It doesn't punish, reward, or destroy. We punish and reward ourselves, and we do plenty of destroying. So it fuels us, and we fuel reality based on the broadness of our intellect. That time gives us a chance to resolve, take responsibility, and liberate ourselves and the other person so that we can receive energy that fuels our soul, that which in turn inspires our intellect to have a sense of purpose and find what it is that we're intended for. Without inspiration, there's nothing. You lose your imagination. You can't create a lifestyle. You can't fuel a deal. You can't uh, engage in, in having a sense of purpose because there is no purpose. Your soul is not ignited. It's where inspiration comes from. Anyway, <laughs> I'll keep going. <laughs> Uh, it's a great answer. It's a great answer. So, uh, what people, I hope people take out of it, not only understanding, but, but a commitment. Commitment to liberate themselves from attachments, from, from energy suckers, energy drain. And that is those, all those wires uh, uh, resentments, guilt, remorse, uh, anger toward oneself or others. Yeah, so you do it for the sake of you. Yeah, for sure. For I, sure. I want, uh, I want uh, um, to ask to speak about something else. You and I, yesterday at 10 o'clock, right in the evening, we discussed something. And I thought it would be not good to bring it up today during this interview. Mm -hmm. We spoke about space and mm -hmm. how you create uh, inner space. When, when there is an empty space, you can bring goodness or, or the opposite. And, and before we go into it, I want you, I don't know if you remember, it happened maybe six, seven years ago. 
but you received the call from me. Uh, I will remind you of what happened. A client of mine called me, and it just happened. I, I never carry my telephone into the bedroom, but for some reason that night, not only I had my telephone in the bedroom, but it was on. Usually I turn off the ringer. And at one o'clock, a guy, maybe now you will, when I tell you, you will remember, a guy is calling me screaming, Peter, what is happening? What is happening to me? And then he goes to tell me a story. Mm -hmm. he, he, he was in a bad place in life, lived in tremendous, tremendous guilt. And started seeing kind of dark shadows in his apartment. And uh, he, he had casual relationships. And, and one, well, that particular night, he was with his girlfriend lying in bed and seeing those visions that he also already told me about it before. And he thought, okay, here I go again being delusional. And then suddenly the girl wakes up and says, what are those dark shadows? And he started screaming because he realized it's not in his mind. It's objective. She also can see. So they quickly got dressed and ran out of the apartment. And then they called me. And I said, well, go and stay in the hotel. Um, fortunately, they could afford it. And then I called you early in the morning. And do you remember what you told me? No. And you told me, and first of all, I didn't tell you the details. I said, somebody saw these dark shadows, thought it was in his mind, and then his girlfriend for the night saw them too. And you said, is he living in guilt? And I said, absolutely. I cannot even, I, it's a very famous person, actually. I, I cannot elaborate on who he is. But he lived in tremendous guilt because one of his siblings died, and he was supposed to go with these siblings, siblings, but he didn't, which which happened, you know, nothing happens by a chance, and the sibling died, and he lived. So he did not stop. That's why, in fact, he was drowning himself in alcohol and, and these casual relationships. And so that was the main feeling that uh, he lived in. And you said to me, is he living in guilt? And I said, yes. He said, so what he did, he lowered his vibrations. So the, his personal space, because he most of the time he spends in his penthouse, penthouse apartment, he lowered vibration of, of whole space so that energies from the lower vibrations could enter the space. That's what you told me. And then you said to, him, to me, like, he... He's Catholic, so he needs to bring a priest and, and pray and to cleanse the space. And, and indeed, I, I told this to a person, and it all worked out, and there were no dark shadows anymore. So that's, again, thank you again. It happened a long time ago. If you don't even remember this happening. So, but I would like you to talk about this space, how we can bring those dark, that darkness, or how can we bring it with fullness of or godness, uh, godliness, or, or joy, or just elaborate on it, if you don't mind. Well, the spaces, uh, 
the interesting idea that I I didn't I didn't learn it from anyone. I it was inspired by uh, I saw the Holy Mother. That's who explained it to me. Um, according to the Catholic religion, you know, Mary was uh, the mother of Christ. So I had an experience in Taos, New Mexico, when I was treating someone. Um, I saw uh, an entity, which is normal for me. I asked, uh, I asked her who, who, she, who it was, and has she ever been in the human experience? She said, I'm Miriam, which was her Hebrew name. Uh, I said, how did you become who you are? She said, I'm, people made me who I am. I said, what does that mean? She said, well, when you hold someone in the highest regard, you raise their vibration, which means our perception of someone gives us proof of what we believe to be true about them. Moreover, I said, where does all illness begin? She said, all illness starts at the heart. That's the emotional, it's the physical form for feelings and emotions. That's why she said there's such an epidemic of breast cancer in women, because women live in their hearts. And they're, uh, when they're constantly giving and not receiving, they cause a stagnation of energy in the heart. So they remove themselves and they function without receiving. They, they, they become kind of martyrs. They, they don't, some, some people, honestly, some people don't, especially women, don't know how to receive. So they end up wanting to control their environment and they don't make any space, any resolve. No resolve ever happens emotionally and intellectually. So that physical space of the heart literally energetically is taken up by bad feelings, guilt, regret, expectation, anger, fear, frustration, uh, blame, all of the insanity of the human experience. But once we accept that we are the co-creators of our own reality, then we have to take responsibility. So there's always a resolve and we're constantly liberating ourselves. It's not it's not a justification or putting something uh, with a pink ribbon on a shelf and denying that it happened. It's literally taking responsibility. If I encountered, a, uh, a, if I married a woman that was negative and, and worst case scenario and dragging me down every day, well, that's because I, I, I had a, a bunch of extraordinary abilities, but I, that's where I was at that time in my life always expecting the other food to, uh, shoe to drop, always waiting for worst case scenario. Uh, everybody's looking to take something from me, reactive, compulsive. So I encountered an expression of myself, not a mirror, and a literal, a physical manifestation that constantly verbalized to me what I believe to be true. So that space can only be made when you take responsibility for yourself and say, okay, well, it didn't happen to me. She wasn't the bad person. She was just a person who was like that when I met her. And I knew that. But I, uh, we get so consumed by needing to point the finger at the other person. You know, they say in certain, in certain uh, programs in the world, they say, when you, when you point your finger, there's three more pointing at you. So once you take responsibility, you really say to yourself, oh, my God, she really didn't do anything to me. Just because I have extraordinary abilities doesn't absolve me from the human experience. I was just as I was just as screwed up as she is. Once you take that responsibility, now 
I take my power back, meaning I accept that I did it to myself. I encountered another human being who was just like me. And I can now I have the power to change it. And the change is I can accept it. And now I don't want to create worst case scenario because the future doesn't exist. I don't need to worry how I'm going to make an income. She had huge insecurities with security. We were living in a $50 million resort. Our wedding was hosted by a billionaire. We got flown by private jet. He gave us a Ferrari. You were there. He gave us a Ferrari to drive from the resort to the wedding. We're driving. It's a 40-mile 40, 40 distance between the resort and the ranch. And she's and we're in a in convertible Ferrari. And she's crying about the wedding being rained out. I said, honey, look at your windshield. It's right in front of you. There's not one raindrop, and you're crying about something that's 40 miles away. Look at your how magical our lives are. And she just couldn't accept that. She was always planning for the future and worried about how things were going to be, kind of like COVID is going to kill us all, and flu season, and allergy season, and slow season, and all those seasons which don't exist. So when we consume ourselves, there's no space to receive from that which truly created us and sustains us. It doesn't sustain us. It, it cannot sustain us if we're pleading with it and praying to it. It doesn't care. It doesn't have an agenda. All it does is create. And it, but it can only create through us. We bring it. Christianity says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Well, its will is only to create. But how does it create? Through us. The broadness of our intellect and the depth of our understanding. People don't realize the correlation of their thoughts and their belief system and their understanding is directly, uh, uh, direct, directly engaged with their circumstances in their lives. So what the Holy Mother was saying to me is that the epicenter of, of illness is the heart. Why? Because if you don't resolve and take responsibility and change your behavior so that you don't encounter the same thing over and over again, you deplete your energy and there's no space to receive new energy. That's how people wither away and die. Illness, there's only, there's only pain where there's no God, meaning People have arthritis because they're depleted of, of, of energy. People have osteoporosis, uh, uh, Parkinson's, because the internal nervous system is no longer submerged in energy and all of their emotional intellectual reactions have frayed their nervous system and now they're out of control because they've tried to control their reality. So it brings us to a whole other subject. I go on a rant. I it's it's, um, it's my passion. You know, it's, it's what I this is who I am. So I don't. I apologize. I very, very interesting. Particularly love. Particularly that you, uh, unlike myself, I learned many things through uh, experience in the physical world and reading books. Mm -hmm. You learned it through direct experience, going beyond the physical, but. We came to the same conclusions. For example, I wrote an article about it, and I, I, I give a talk about it in my lectures. That, you know, honestly, we're supposed to care. We are in the health field. We're supposed to like quote everybody, 
and and to the degree you that you do your best to like everybody but frankly there are people who are challenging and who sometimes are neg very negative and difficult to work with them and there are people who are just beautiful people and you smile when you think of seeing them but i'm telling you and you probably will agree i have never met in my in all the years of my practice i have never met a woman with breast cancer who would not be a wonderful human being just absolutely wonderful and and in fact their their friends would come and say i don't know why it happened to her she's such a wonderful giving person that's the problem it's not that the bad that she's giving but it's not she she's not receiving and then yeah so and you you found out this through through those journeys and i want to ask you about those journeys beyond or some call it into the gap uh, i don't know if you, uh, no, no, I, I learned about that, and again, I call it the gap, and you will probably give it another name, but that that place where you go, there was, a, uh, during the World War One. there was an Austrian officer who was wounded badly, and at that time, of course, we're talking about the beginning of 20th century, there were no treatments of his, for his wounds. And he is the first one, like who described what we, what I call the gap. From pain, he would escape into the blackness, and the blackness would literally talk to him, and direct itself into the parts of his body that needed healing. And then, in in an hour, he would come back to consciousness, and he would notice that his wound was a little bit more healed but still there was tremendous pain and he would go back in the gap and within several days he completely healed himself and in fact then he was not like on on zoom but in those times whatever way they did he gave lectures he taught other people to go into the gap so that he called it blackness what and and i think i shared with you with my experience when i had covid that I would go into that blackness and it communicated with me. Is that the place that you're going into or it's something different? I've never experienced it as blackness. What is it? Where do you go? I really don't go anywhere. Uh, I found I found it interesting that, you know, um, there are a lot of people, wellness practitioners, who call themselves clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient, clair something, clair whatever. Some are healers, some are mediums. You know, there's no place to go. If you develop the vibration of your soul and you constantly resolve and sustain yourself and take responsibility for co-creating your reality and you have a ritual life through which you refuel your soul's energy, and you're active and completely, you become honest with yourself, who you are and what your agenda is and what your shortcomings are. There's no, it's normal, but there's no place to go. The creative force sustains your soul. And so that's where we go. To me, it's always been a light. It's never been darkness. So close your eyes when you close your eyes i don't describe you don't I, close i never close my eyes i remember the time where you would close your eyes now you i even when i looked in the beginning stages of my practice i would look in fact my eyes were peeled when you when you first came and snapped me out of it 
and I was walking around, you know, taking the train, staring at people like I was out of my mind. I was looking at their lives. My eyes were peeled because I spent three weeks sitting at home downloading information. And I thought that if I closed my eyes, that I stopped seeing that or stopped seeing whatever it is that was teaching me. And then I, then you came and said, look, you know, if it was intended for you to be on the other side, you would be, but you're supposed to be here. I think you should snap out of it. And I did because my fear was that if I might close my eyes, I'll lose the connection. But then I realized it's not my eyes that see. It's my soul's that can that my soul's energy is at such a vibration where I have access to otherworldly things. So I don't need to ask anything for anything. I'm directly connected to that which sustains me. So the more I understand the workings of it, the more vibrationally I, I have access to, to levels of information and healing quality. Meaning there are folks that attach themselves to being mediums, and that's how I started my practice. But mediumship is an increment, and it's completely meaningless. It's more important to engage, you know, people get yeah. attached to it. It's very meaningful. You help a lot of people grieve. It's the reason it's meaningless, because human nature is to get attached to the phenomenon. And if, as the practitioner and a wellness person and a person who provides people with answers and, and, and solutions, if I continue to be a medium, I'm interacting with a disembodied soul that doesn't provide me with any energy. And the fact that, you know, Uncle Joe went to the other side, he didn't become a rocket scientist if he wasn't very smart here. So getting advice from them for the person that's coming to me to resolve uh, they're concerned about their death is great, but then people, human nature is to get attached to the phenomenon. So they're not really learning. Then I become their God and their solution maker based on a disembodied soul suggestion. Right. It's a complete waste of time. It, there is a wonderful, wonderful benefit from it. And that is there are people who doubt or don't believe that there is life the continuity of consciousness. And when you provide them, when you talk to that person and that person provides them with information that only they know about that person, suddenly they realize there is a greater reality. Right. If it's done once. Yes. So what I'm saying to you is human nature is, oh, wow, my auntie or my mom said this. Oh my God, it was all true. Let me go back and get some more. So it hinders the person from growing or creating a relationship with the creative force, which truly sustains us. You know, I saw a famous medium uh, in the Bahamas. I won't say his name, but he was, I knew him. He was a bodybuilder. He had a show and uh, he was a professional dancer, a ballroom dancer. When I saw him in the Bahamas, he was short and overweight and completely gray. I said, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, we talked for five minutes. And I realized he, was, he shrunk because of his interaction with the deceased. Because they don't provide anything. They're just souls like we are. They're just going through a spiritual experience. Is it, does, it, does it provide resolve for someone who lost a loved one? Of course. But once... But people 
because they're attached to the phenomenon. They don't want to grow. They don't want to make that space to receive more godly energy, to envelop their nervous system, to stop reacting, to be more effective in co-creating their own reality. They want someone to predict it for them. I just encountered a client, a potential client. The guy said to me, I need your help. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm losing my mind. He's, he's a very successful guy, owns an ex extremely successful business. He's religious. He prays every day, severely depressed, 51 years old. Everything's falling apart around him. His employees don't listen to him. Everything's falling apart. And he says to me, oh, you know, I called a psychic woman. She helps me a lot in California. I said, no, she doesn't. I don't want to bash anybody, but she doesn't help you at all. All she does is give you descriptions and explanations to people who are working for you and possibly what their agenda is. It hasn't helped you. The reason they're, these people and you're surrounded by this low vibration people that are not doing anything because you're not doing anything for yourself. You're completely depleted of energy with your worries, concerns, and all of your insan human insanity. And what ifs? And so there's no space for the creative force to refuel you so that you can co-create a new reality that is an expression of being a higher vibration. So you encounter people who are that way also. But what you said that this guy is very successful. So does it mean that at some point in his life he was, uh, didn't have this batter, little battery sucking energy from him or what happened? So, so people like that, uh, you know, I experienced it also. I experienced it in a way where, you know, I would go to Montana and see 180 people in five days. I went to Maryland, saw 260 people in seven days. I went to Chicago, saw 300 people in seven days. But I didn't value myself and didn't pray, meditate, or do yoga. And I didn't have give myself a chance to replenish. So I, I used up my own supply. And that's what happens to men, especially. That's what menopause for women and uh, hormonal changes, loss of testosterone for men. We lose our own supply, which is the driving force for co-creating. It's not a chemical condition. It, 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 it is. It translates into the physical. Right. right. But the truth is, it's loss of energy. So if you reconnect yourself, yes, he was successful. He was a, uh, a successful doctor. He started a, a completely random business and it went through the roof for him. And now he reached a point where he's depleted and his way doesn't work anymore. And now all he wants is the phenomenon. He wants somebody to, oh, what's this guy up to? What does it matter what he's up to? His general manager doesn't work. He doesn't work because he's a reflection of you. He, he's an expression of you. He doesn't value your business because you don't value yourself. It's your stage. You can't light up your stage or your endeavor if you're depleted of, of life source energy. And the only way to refuel is to accept that you're doing it. So firing people and getting a new staff is a complete waste of time. Please, I want to tell you, you, I don't know even if you know that this guy exists, Jordan Peterson. No speaker, psychologist from, from Canada, brilliant, brilliant guy. He is a great scholar, wrote many books, several very good books. 
but he's saying the same thing, just not in the language. He is a scholar through books and through intellect, but you're receiving it, like you say, from, from direct source, mm -hmm. but saying the same thing. He talks also, but by the way, in the media, he was called a conservative right-winger because he says you have to take responsibility. Don't don't blame other people. Something mm -hmm. happened 400 years ago, 300 years ago. Don't say, oh, look what, what happened to us. What right. do you do for yourself now? Right. That's that, what he's saying. But what you're saying? I know I'm not, I'm not waving the flag of Judaism, but 3,700 years people have tried to destroy us. And the only reason we're one of the most successful groups of people in the world because we take responsibility. We're not running around whining about who did what to us. Every country in the world has tried to destroy us or expel us, and we're still here. That's why we're able to survive. That's what, what you call technology. It's a practice yeah. of reminding yourself. When... Yeah. Vlad, I, I have other questions, but before I have a little selfish question, would you... Uh, you, you said, so you, you are dealing with this light energy, the energy of light. Then what did I talk to? Was it my, my own psyche? Who was talking to me when I had for 10 days fever 103 going into this delirium? And then at one point, the, the, the night, the day before my fever broke down uh, uh, and I started getting well, I heard I, I was in blackness and, and the voice, but not outside, but like in, the blackness itself spoke to me. And I think I shared with you what it told me. Mm -hmm. It told me some remarkable things about our family and told me, you have to go back and learn to live without fear. And I said, what are you talking about? I did whitewater kayaking. I did all crazy things. I don't have fear. And then as weeks passed by, I realized how much fear I lived in through my life so what was talking to me what was that blackness there are a lot of you know i call this last generation of of uh you know uh, wayne dyer deepak chopra don miguel ruiz uh, uh neil donald walsh they're theorists they're intellectual spiritualists, meaning they learned something, they understood something because of a, a deep intellect like yourself. Uh, your deduction, because of your broadness of your mind, your deductions are deeper than, let's say, 80% of the population. And so you deducted for yourself that these concrete, um, this concrete way intellectually makes sense but it didn't ascend into your heart. You didn't allow the energy of the creative force to ascend into your heart. It clearly makes sense to you, that's why you chose it. So then when you go into a blackness, it's because your understanding is intellectual. It's not a feeling, it's intellectual. When it involves a feeling, it's through our perception and our feelings that we reach the light. It's through intellect, it becomes blackness. So if you look at the, the inspired people of the past, um, anyone who claims to have had an experience, a guy that had one experience and he wrote a book that's phenomenal, um, uh, The Power of Now, 
right? The guy says he, he connected to something. He also claims a blackness. Why? Because it's all intellectual. It's not lit because the energy of the, of the source is nothing but light. So when you live, and as you, you grew up in the Soviet Union, everything was intellectualized. It, it, you led with intellect. You're a doctor. You're a psychologist. You're all these things that have to do with the mind. But you still were scared to make certain moves and certain leaps into the unknown. And those leaps are what will take you in into the light. Intellectualizing, trying to manage God and run three my three minutes or run one minute is managing the light. So then when you're exposed to it, you're exposed to the thought. And really what you're hearing is your own self. You're hearing your soul because now you've been completely broken down by COVID and you're engaged with, with the creative force and there's no room for thought. And so the first stages is the voice, you hear the voice, but it's still darkness because it's still involved. You're saying my own discoveries. Nobody outside of me spoke to me. It was my own, call it subconscious mind or whatever, right? What you connected to is a higher understanding of the creative force, but it's within you. It's not outside of you. It's not a guy speaking to you. You know what I mean? You, you connect it to your challenges, your belief system, that which uh, um, prevents you from being fully who you are. Because everything is intellectualized and everything is, you're a learner man. You're, you're, you took something on and you know more than anybody else I know. I, I, I won't call a rabbi for questions about Torah. I'll call you and you're religious only, what, eight years? Uh, I won't call about uh, the former Soviet Union or questions about politics or whatever it is in the history of the world. I'll call you. I'm not going to look at Wikipedia. I have you. So everything is intellect. And so your deductions and your go-to is, you know, trying to deduce something and discern it through your intellect. Well, really, what if you, if you leap into something, then the light opens, and then you see a light, not darkness. That's that brings us, thank you, that brings us to my next question. That we, we have thousands of people listening to us. What, how what? would I say we have thousands of people listening to us? Uh-huh. How could they, you share very, very interesting, I would say profound experiences. Uh, to say ideas, it's your experiences. But how could they take what you just shared with them and utilize it in their own life, in everyday life, for their benefit? Like, if, like, you know, when I give my talks, I give assignments usually. When clients come to me, I give them assignments for a week. What, okay, we, we've had this talk. What assignment would you give them so that they could practice and say, wow, Lot said this and this, and, and, and I see change. I'm going to say something that I learned from someone else. It's not mine. Stop trying to manage God. That's it. Because the flow is constant. 
thinking about how something is going to unfold is managing the flow. If you're consumed by the outcome, you're not present to receive the flow. So you're not in the process or in the outcome. You're so, if you look at the archer, you know why I give people like this? I give them an assignment to do uh, a pose that I learned in, in Kriya Yoga. It's called archer pose. It's standing in archer pose for seven and a half minutes on each side. It'll teach you <laughs> to pay attention to now. <laughs> Why? Because the archer has nothing to do with the target. If he's not standing in his form, if his form is not absolute and his breathing is not in line, if you look at a lot, very, very often archers blind themselves and tie something around their eyes because it has nothing to do with their aim. It has to do with the process, with the form. And then that form guides the, the, the process guides the arrow into the outcome. And the outcome is a, an unlimited possibility. And we as human beings, we try to manage the creator because it's energy, it's constantly fueling us. And we drag our past into the future, trying to manage it with our conditioned ways of thinking and our statistics to manage the outcome and formulate it somehow. Well, how is it possible that I'm going to be, there's no way I can, I'll give you an example in my life. I was living in Montclair, New Jersey in, in a house, a seven room house. I was renting it, it was back then it was $1,800 a month. I was making a certain amount of money per month, driving to Brooklyn to see 12, 14 people a day, an hour and 15 minutes each way. I had absolutely no idea how to move forward. And I decided, you know what? There's nothing for me to think about. I'm just going to do my best. And I got discovered by Tom Worrell, who hosted my wedding, flew me by private jet, gave me a house, a car, a retainer, and a Ferrari for my wedding. And my life changed on a dime. Why? How could I have ever imagined that I could end up in the Southwest? Never. I'm a New Yorker. I from, came from Odessa. The mountains of Taos, New Mexico? What, what are the chances? You're, you're my family. You know. What are the chances? I lived on a $50 million resort. Whatever I needed, the guy provided. Why? Because I stopped worrying about the outcome. I just did my best every day. Uh, let me summarize, Lav, because we have only five minutes left. Uh, basically, the position is, is you live your life, you make a choice. Whatever is in front of you, you do your best, you make a choice, you don't worry about the outcome, and you may discover after five minutes or five days that this was not the consequence of the, uh, that you want. So make the next choice, and then the next choice, and the next choice. Don't worry. Anytime you make a choice, you make a choice based on your experience and also your best judgment, without worrying about the outcome. With no judgment. And no worry are fools. Because worry is trying to condition an outcome. You don't know what's going to be three minutes from now. So what's the point of, if I'm going to think about an outcome, I might as well fuel it with what I want, not with what I don't want. So why, why do we as humans resort to building a future with things that we don't want and constant obstacles? But there, there is also a little danger in, uh, in envisioning something that you do want because then you get attached to I, something about envisioning. Right. Okay. So you don't. Because, no. again, a lot of people promote positive visualization. You have to imagine 
right. then you're disappointed and then you go down. Very depleting positive visualization. I treated someone with a severe um, a clinical blindness because she was teaching people how to envision and peering into that which is unknown. That's desire and wanting. Wanting takes you right out of the now. So, so you make a choice with the, with the best of your knowledge, see the consequence, you like the consequence, fantastic. You don't like, make the next choice, the next choice, the next choice. Is you, that right? you make a decision to where you would like to be and do your best every day and first and foremost include God into it. Because if it's no God, you got nothing. I don't care who you are. Dedication and devotion is what fuels your outcomes and your effort doing your best. Ask yourself, am I doing my best? To get to where I want to be. If I'm doing my best, then I don't need to worry about the outcome. It's inevitable. Look, I, 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 I'm looking at the screen here because I wrote a number of questions I wanted to ask you, and I did not cover even a third. <laughs> so we'll have to uh, we'll have to get together again, maybe in in a couple of months. If I hope you don't mind. Um, <laughs> To thank you. I think it's the best. I love it. I love it. Thank you for coming for to the show. And uh, as always, it's enriching, uh, I believe, for everybody and for me too. As I said, you know, I became a student uh, and I really appreciate all your ideas because I know they don't come um, from intellectual conclusions or from some books that somebody wrote, but from direct experience. I'm, I'm really, I always say I'm really not that smart. I got, <laughs> I got exhausted by my habitual impulsive behavior. And that's why I am where I am because <laughs> I've fallen on my face so many times. I just want you to know, I got, I want the audience to know and you to know that, you know, you keep saying that you're a student, but I got blessed. As I told you, you know, I came to a point where in my life that I know that was a huge turning point where I got to heal my teacher when you came to my home for a week. Yeah, thank you. Now, I thank you very much. And uh, my dear audience, now time together is coming to an end. Uh, I want to thank you all for being with me today. Uh, next week, uh, I will be talking about, uh, I'm not sure. Let, let me keep you in suspense. <laughs> We'll decide what we'll be talking, but I will be talking. I will not have a guest. Uh, and thank you very much again for being with me today. I hope you will join me uh, next Tuesday. Peace to all who want to live in peace.